Stone. I'm Peter. And I'm Felice. Welcome to our travel podcast. We're specialist travel writers and we've spent half a lifetime exploring every corner of the world. So we want to share with you some of our extraordinary experiences and the amazing people we've met along the way. This week we're in Colombia, or to be more exact, in the coffee zone, the fruit bowl of this enchanting and ever-surprising South American country, where we're talking to New Zealander Bruce McLean. Bruce fell in love with the landscape, the culture, the food, and his wife here. He now runs a boutique tour operation. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Peter. Pleasure to be here. Now, my first question for you as an expert on Colombia, as you are, and a, a tour operator in Colombia, is that 30 years ago, Colombia was generally considered to be the most dangerous destination on earth. It was a, a reputation that had its foundation in full 20 years previously, and it reached its zenith in the heyday of Pablo Escobar, the world's most famous narco-terrorist, who with a, a fortune of it said of some $64 billion, became the richest drug lord of all time. Now, in 2021, Colombia has transformed itself into a new title, the most sought-after tourist destination in the Americas. However did this come about? Who took the cocaine, the first sea, out of Colombia? <laughs> the cocaine, the first sea. Um, well, where to begin on that? How did that all, the transformation? Well, there's the old saying how I sort of think of it, um, every cloud has a silver lining. The cloud was obviously Pablo Escobar, a very evil man, murdered over 3,000 people, including a plane load of people at one stage, including, you know, families, babies, everybody on board just blew it up. And you're right, he was a very wealthy man at one stage, the second wealthiest man in the world. But how the transformation started is with backpackers. Because backpackers, being young people, they're adventurous. They, you know, they want to try different things, that sort of stuff. They want to explore. And Colombia has been one of those places where, you know, backpackers also want to um, go and say, yeah, I've been there when other people haven't. You know, I've seen that, you haven't. They all want to one-up the other people. And that's sort of how it, it began. That's my feeling. The backpackers started to come. They started going here and there and that sort of stuff. Found this amazing country full of beauty. So many attractive locations, landscapes, it's abundance of wildlife, birds, you know, we've got the most variety of birds in the world, the largest variety of butterflies, second most biodiverse country in the world, next to Brazil, which is obviously much larger than we are. But yes, it's it's started with them, started sharing their photos and telling other people about it. And that's sort of how I think it just sort of started from there and just sort of carried on. And more people wanted to go, more people wanted to go. Backpackers have had a huge effect on the opening up of the country to foreign visitors, but presumably the usual dangers of getting mugged or pickpocketed are still out there. Yeah, it depends on the situation where you are. I think it's the same case regardless of what country it is. You don't walk down those dark alleys if it's not well lit, if it's a lonely street. Yeah. As far as security-wise here, you know, you don't really walk on the street with your phone out. If somebody were to steal it, that, that can pay for the food and everything for a family for a month. But is it much safer than it used to be? I, I fell in love with Colombia uh, many, many years ago. I thought it was one of the most beautiful places I'd ever been to. And I was hitchhiking my way through South America and I ended up in Bogota. And I remember then, in my early 20s, I guess, being invited somehow to a really smart evening party in a luxurious apartment block. I got talking to this slightly older girl who was, I think, a banker or someone in advertising or something like that. And I think she invited me out to dinner. It must have been that way around because I didn't have any money at all. 
Anyway, we left the apartment where there were sort of liveried waiters serving out ice cold cocktails and cannabis to, I guess, Bogota's business finest. And she shut the heavy door behind us. And immediately she delved into her giant shoulder bag and produced a huge silver barrel revolver. She broke it, checked that all six chains were loaded, snapped it shut, and then pressed the button on the elevator. I looked at her in stunned and amazement. And she just shrugged. She said, it's the way it is here. You always have to be alert, especially in underground car parks. Now, the world's moved on since those days, but is it really safe for the visitor? Yes. It's all depending on where you go. For us, where we provide our tours and the locations are safe areas. There's always going to be those little people who pickpockets and that sort of thing. They're just everywhere. As far as getting robbed at gunpoint, it can happen just as in every country. Look, to be honest with you, it is a little bit more dangerous now than it was before COVID because obviously there's a lot more people, like hundreds of thousands, if not millions, who don't have work, who haven't been working for so long. We've also got, I think it's 1.5 approximately million of Venezuelans have come into the country over the last couple of years. Most of them don't have work. So there's a case of a lot of people are desperate to feed their families. It is basically just to survive. Don't go out and get drunk. You know, don't do stupid things. Don't go down those dark alleys. If it looks like there's a lot of gang activity there, don't walk down there. It's, it's a safe place. There are things that can happen. I've been pickpocketed twice. You know, you've got to be aware of what's happening around you, but it's also to try and avoid those places that have a bad reputation, which everybody knows where these places are. It's safe to travel here for sure. Yeah, I think you've just got to be sensible. Follow the, the normal rules of behavior in a foreign country, a country that you, you don't know well. Absolutely. You know, I lived in Sydney for 17 years and there are places there I wouldn't go. I remember there was an area that police wouldn't go down there unless there were like four cars, four police cars at least. There's these places everywhere in the world and Colombia has them just as everywhere else. The difference here as well is that the big armed groups, those like narco-trafficantes, which are all the same, you know, whether they're paramilitary or they're guerrillas or whatever, they're all just after money and easy life. They are based in dense forests or in small towns in remote areas. So it's not where we send our travellers. It's, it's unfortunate that not everybody can go there, but that's just unfortunately how it is. The government hasn't got control over those areas. And how did you end up living in Colombia in the first place? My story sort of starts in 2009. I came here to visit my sister. She's a missionary in Bogota. She's been here for 25, 27 years, something like that. So I was here for three months. I got to visit a lot or got to see and experience a lot of Colombia. I got to uh, the Amazon, uh, San Augustine with the tombs and the stone statues and sculptures dating back thousands of years. I got to the Pacific coast. I got up to the north to Caribbean, the coffee zone, obviously, where I live now. I just fell in love with everything. Every place I went is just amazing. Just the natural beauty, the culture, every different location is a different culture. Different people wear different clothing, they have different food. Like, I don't think a Colombia is one destination. It's more or less like 30 destinations that you want to try and visit. But obviously, you can't do in one experience. You've got to come two, three times. It's an amazing place. But that's when I first fell in love with it. Forced to meet a girl, as is, as is a common story. And so but I was living in Sydney at the time. I went back to Sydney and I was lucky enough that Paula followed me back there a few months later. And that's where we stayed for a number of years. We got married in New Zealand. My mother actually married us in her garden. A nice memory to have. We took many trips 
to Colombia in the time that we lived in Sydney. So it was a case of every time we came, we knew we were going to come and move here. We knew we were going to live here. We just didn't know when. And then we just bit the bullet, really, and just said, right, if we don't go now, when are we going to go? Are we going to go when we're retired? What are we going to do? So let's just go now. And so that's why we finally came here. We lived in Bogota for a while. I love Bogota, but a little bit cold, hot in the sun, and then cold in the shade because Paula's from the coffee zone, her family's here. So now I'm, I'm so happy to call this paradise. The coffee zone is, it, it has everything. This paradise is my home. It just has everything, everything except for the beach, you know, but that's only a couple of hours away. So it's, it's not that bad. What is the coffee zone and where is it exactly? Okay. The coffee zone, it's also called like, some people call it the coffee triangle. It's not far from Medellin or from Bogota. So it's generally a flight about a 40-minute flight from either one. But where I live, there's actually a a tunnel getting built that's going to take us directly, well, not directly, but close to Medellin. So that's going to take the road trip down from five and a half hours from here to Medellin to three or three and a half hours, which is going to mean that everybody, I believe, is going to take this road. And this is going to be the, the new direction for traffic as opposed to the flights. Even though the flights are only 40 minutes, it's from Bogota. So if somebody's coming from Medellin here, they'd still, if we're using international uh, international travelers who have a decent amount of luggage, they'll be going to Bogota, then to the coffee zone or to, you know, or the other way around. It's never a direct flight. The direct flights are smaller luggage holds. Here, it's just, it's like the heart of Colombia. It's full of mountains, as is all of Colombia, but it's got plantations of coffee, obviously. Cacao, platano, pineapples, mangoes, oranges, sugarcane is big industry here. This is like the fruit bowl. There's a variety of vegetables and fruit grown in different areas, but this is just an amazing place. You would have seen the Jeep Willis from the... 1945 or from World War II. After World War II, Colombia bought a lot of them. And that's because the mountain, it's so mountainous here to get through, you have to use a mule, which is in between a um, a donkey and a horse. So that's what they use to get through the mountains. And so the Jeep Willis is the only other thing that can do it. So that really here is like the public transport in the in the small towns. So you'll see Jeep Willis's with might be a dozen people inside, another half a dozen on the back and another half a dozen on top, along with luggage and bags and stuff. And it's all, it's part of the culture. It's, it's, it's just, it's a beautiful, it's awesome. I love it. You just have to sort of come and see. We've got these valleys that are just beautiful. We've got the tallest wax palms in the, in the world here. Kakorda Valley, there's Salento, there's heritage towns, colorful architecture, colonial architecture is just an amazing place what is a jeep willis is it a sort of bus or van or something? no uh the jeep willis is uh, it's a jeep it's like from world war ii then um the u.s army they had all these extra jeeps afterwards columbia bought them there's also you know a, a shiva here which is a bus which is the same as you know people who've gone to mexico before know the same sort of bus colorful things sometimes you get a few people on there and they'll just start some music and they'll just start singing and, and it can become you know a bus trip from one place to another it becomes a party it's an experience it's the music is just everywhere here as well i love it absolutely love it so if you're coming from another country and you know nothing about colombia and they're coming on one of your tours how do they choose what to see there seems to be so much to see over a huge area how do you do that there in a is. week or two weeks or three weeks you can't do it in two or three weeks but we can we can choose some places what we've created on our website there's a form to fill out and you can just which has just got 
very basic descriptions. So it might be like Santa Marta, Cartagena, it might be Rosaria Islands or jungles, monkeys, and different areas. So if you're interested more in the cultural side of things, if you want to see 400-year-old towns, then you'll tick a box for Fiji Later or Buddy Chatter. If you want to go rock paintings, which are 12,000 years old, then that will be El Guaviati. Amazon, obviously, there's jungle and walking and night hikes and day hikes, fishing for piranha. But there's a case of telling us a few different things that you're interested in. At that point, we will actually send you a number of videos on the different locations, just short videos, short basic videos. So the videos still don't include everything that's available. And from then, after that, uh, we'll then schedule a chat. And based on what you're interested in is what will explain everything to you. For me, I think to see everything, you're going to be wanting to be here a few months. But nobody has that, or very few people have that time or that budget, really. So it's a case of a number of trips. And it is a case, if you're able to do a number of trips, then we can organize things that are closer together. So you're not losing that time in transport, whether you're, you don't want to be spending half, you know, a couple of hours at the airport and then to fly somewhere, then you're another hour or two to transfer somewhere else. It's, it's a case of organizing the logistics and everything to maximize your time here. And we don't want people tired. For me, I hate going on holiday and rushing to do everything, waking up at 4 or 5 a.m. to catch the next flight to get somewhere else to do it. So that's a, it's a big thing for me is to organize everything so people are rested, they're enjoying it, they're happy, they've got wonderful experiences and not just thinking, okay, we'll look at the camera later and, and try to remember what we did. Now we're talking about small groups of people with a guide. We only do private tours, private tours, small groups, nearly every, well, I'd say a good 80% is just couples. Probably a good 60, 70% would be, would be retired over the age of 60. It's not a demographic we aimed for. We never wanted to do group tours anyway, because we don't feel that one size doesn't fit all. And people always want to change something. That's for all our, all our packages are all customizable. It's often a case that we can actually change a package mid-tour. If we might have accommodation booked here, but if, you know, if they don't mind spending that little bit extra, okay, we can stay another day here. Or if you wanted to go change the direction or, you know, we can, we can do that. We can accommodate. That's the good thing about doing the private tours. If people wanted to go hiking in the Amazon jungle, would you take them there? Absolutely. Easy. That's not a problem at all. We have some eco lodges in the Amazon jungle and depending on where you lodge, where we put you as to what experiences you can take. But all of our eco lodges, we provide a night hike and a day hike. If you want to do more, then you can. We can go camping in the jungle and we able to sleep in a, in a hammock because you don't want to really sleep on the ground because something might, yeah, a snake might come across you. <laughs> so in the air is a little bit more comfortable. But yeah, absolutely. We've, we've got hiking everywhere as well. Colombia is an amazing place to hike through. And you also go fishing for piranhas. In the Amazon, absolutely. Piranha fishing, it's it's not as glamorous as it sounds. You don't even have a rod. You'll have a like a fishing line and they'll put a bit of meat on it because obviously that's what they eat. And you'll just chuck it in there and depending if it's a bit of bit more blood then obviously you'll get a few more around but absolutely it's also a case depending on where we lodge you and which eco lodge if you're actually on the amazon river you can't go out on a boat at night because obviously there's no um no street lights because it's you know it's the amazon river so that it's it's illegal to go out at night on a boat in case you crash if another but on the side rivers or tributaries it's easier there so we can actually if we put you in an eco lodge there then you can go out on a boat at night and we can take you and you can go hunting for a caiman which are like a little alligator reality you won't be doing it the guide will be doing it and they'll catch a caiman for you and you'll be able to hold a little alligator in your hands and it's 
quite an experience, but, the, you know, the small ones that don't bite too much. How big are they? The ones they try to catch, uh, if we're talking centimetres, what we're looking at about 30 centimetres, that's what they catch, 30, 40 centimetres. So what's that, about a foot, I suppose. If you're talking full size, they can get up to a couple of metres. So similar to alligator, but smaller. They wouldn't bite your finger off or something like that, would they? They could, absolutely. But if it's a small one, the guide will be holding it and then pass it to you gently. Safety is first. So you probably don't put your fingers in the mouth. You know, I wouldn't, wouldn't do that. Maybe behind its head and on the tail, you know, <laughs> safe places, that sort of thing. When you go fishing, what sort of boat do you go in? Ah, oh, basic, like a canoe, a big canoe, more or less, will be what it is. With those long, long tubes on the back with the motor in it, so they can raise the propellers out of the water if it need be, because, of course, depending on what time of the year, what season, it might be high or uh, water levels might be high or low. I remember the first time that I went there, our boat got stuck before we even got to the eco-lodge. So there's a guide and a couple of other people there who were who were going to the eco-lodge as well, who were workers. So they had to get out of the boat and to slowly push us through over these sandbanks. Every now and then you'd see them jump up because one had stood on something that he wasn't sure what it was because there's obviously, there's the caiman, there's the piranha, there's also um, stingrays, there's different animals there that can bite. Everybody got there in one piece, but it was it was interesting, it was really interesting. In complete contrast to something like the Amazon Basin, there's a beautiful former colonial towns like Cartagena, I remember very well, which have got really lovely old buildings and I'm sure there are more beautiful towns than that. Yep, as you said, Cartagena. Beautiful. Um, the heritage area of that the historic zone, it's two, three hundred year old, some four hundred year old buildings there. Amazing. The fort there is wonderful to walk around. It's not just that. A lot of people go to Cartagena for the beaches, the Rosetta Islands, crystal clear waters, super for snorkeling, diving if you wish as well. You can stay on the overnight there. Other Wonderful towns, Vija de Leyva, which is 400 years old also, close to Bogota, about three hours from Bogota there, cobblestone roads, wonderful buildings once again. If you want to see something that's just spectacular, Barichara is probably the must-do, must-play, must-see um, location. Every year it's voted the most beautiful town in Colombia. Its heritage is just exactly as it was 400 years ago. And if you're looking for an activity holiday? Any location? Any location. Okay. Well, from Medellin, a couple of wonderful towns to visit. Hedico and Hardin, both coffee towns, uh, coffee uh, like heritage towns. So they're colourful. Uh, you'll see, you know, the buildings, red, blue, green, yellow, wonderful streets surrounded by plantations of coffee and everything else once again. Wonderful towns to visit. Guatape is about an hour and a half from Medellin, a bit, quite, bit closer. I would say a good 99% of visitors who visit Medellin would go to Guatape as well. It's a massive rock called El Peñal. There you can actually climb up 700 odd steps right to the very top. We also have offered um, helicopter rides to there and above that area because it is just sensational. The lake is just beautiful. You can go out there on a boat as well. Beautiful place to stay as well in Guatape for a night or two. It's just got uh, amazing buildings uh, or not so much the heritage wise, but colourful, very colourful. It's also got uh, like clay images painted on the actual bottoms of the building. And it's not just flat painted, I should say. It's it's almost, it's like you, how would I describe it? You might see a Jeep Willis or a, a, a Shiva, like I was saying, where you see campesinos, which is a hardworking people in the peasant farmers, I suppose you could describe it, or houses and that sort of stuff. More or less, got two, three centimetres thick, these paintings, these sculptures, or 
that are actually stuck onto the buildings. It's beautiful. It's cool. It's, it's just different. Coffee zone. We have coffee tours, cacao tours, trapeche tour. My favorite tour at the moment is a trapeche. Trapeche tour is a panela factory. So Colombia is actually the second largest producer of panela in the world. For those that don't know, it's it's made from a different sort of sugar cane. So it's not the same sugar cane as what normal processed sugar or raw sugar is made from. It's a different one. That is a very artisanal method in production. It's cut by hand with machetes in the in the fields. Then it's put onto a mule. That will then then go to the trapeche, which is the factory. From there, it's pressed and all the liquid comes out. The stalks are then used for a fire, which goes all day, 5 a.m. till 7 p.m. at night. From there, though, actually, all the liquid is actually scooped up and poured into another pan and then to another pan and another pan. And it's just boiling hot. It's just the whole time, it's just steaming, boiling hot. And each time they're scooping it, it's getting more and more pure. It's cool. And it's so interesting. And, and you can get close to it without getting too dangerous. If you're in another country, you'd be two meters away behind a glass wall. Here, you can actually get up close and you can see it. You can scoop it up yourself. Obviously, there's a bit of common sense and you don't put your hand in, but that's one of my favorite tours. If you want something really action-packed, if you're interested in history, San Augustin, the tombs and everything there, ranging from hundreds or thousands of years old, the statues there, El Guaviari, that is... One of my favorite destinations just now as well. 12,000 year old rock paintings, which actually have, you know, horses that were, you know, the paintings of the horses that were before the Ice Age, dating from, from 12,000 plus years to 400 years because the cattle, paintings and cattle on there as well, which were only introduced by the Spaniards. This whole range of, of things that you can see in the handprints and you can actually, you know, you're seeing and touching things that the 12,000 years ago, it's real true history, as well as meeting indigenous people who still live in there who still have the same language the same songs music you can learn to dance try their food and that's you know just one of the regions Akandi, close to Cartagena, not too far from Cartagena, actually, a place that is not on the tourist map yet, where you can go for leatherback turtles. I love this one at night. It's only, you know, certain times during the year, giant leatherback turtles come up the beach and go and lay their eggs. You can watch all of this happening. And once again, because of this country and not necessarily others, you can be right there with that turtle watching it. If you're getting the timing right, following morning, you can watch little baby hatchlings breaking free of their eggs and then scurrying down the beach. So you've got just a mountain of things to do here. Sort of why I think you can't do it in a couple of weeks. Yeah, <laughs> can't. And you told me that Colombia is also in the Caribbean. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So that actually part is Caribbean as well. We're saying Ancandi. It's actually like on the border with Panama. From there, we're going up to Cartagena. It's a... About a five-hour drive, more or less. Uh, we just fly tourists in because we don't like to take up too much time driving places if we don't need to. So we have that, and then there's Cartagena there. You've obviously got Mompox, which you may have heard of. It's like stepping back in time in Mompox, beautiful little town. Then you've got Santa Marta, still in the Caribbean. We've got Tyrona Park, National Park, amazing. Uh, Cabo San Juan is in, in Tyrona Park, which is a beach. You can actually sleep in different locations there as well in Cabo San Juan, in hammocks if you want. I can't sleep in hammocks. I've learned that, but you, you know, many people do still. They always say that the secret to sleeping in a hammock is to trail one foot down, but every time I try that, the other foot <sighs> follows it. I agree with you. I find it completely impossible. It is. It's a, And it's not about not being comfortable because I can get comfortable in a hammock. I can, but it's just actually falling asleep it's just i can't do that why is that because you're worried you might fall out 
No, <laughs> no, it, it's not like that because you feel secure. We have a hammock here where I live on our on our balcony, and I'll just go there and rest for you know ten or twenty minutes, but I can never fall asleep. It's just. The position, I guess, is just, but there's other situations where you might not have a choice between a hammock. You've got a hammock or a, or a mattress on the floor, and the hammock is the best choice. I take, the hammock, I take the hammock every time because, as you said earlier, it's quite possible something might come along and crawl over you in the night. I'd rather be in the hammock. Yeah. <laughs> True, true. And there are locations like that. So the standard of accommodation overall for your guests, is that sort of what you describe as three-star, four-star, or it varies enormously? Most places, three to five-star. It just depends on what they would like to enjoy. There are locations such as in the Amazon, we're sort of thinking one, two-star, or an eco-lodge, you know, so it can still be very nice, but very, very basic. In the Pacific Coast, very nice, but basic. If we're talking in El Guaviare, if the with the rock paintings, three star. If we're going up north into uh, Sierra Nevada, then it depends on how far north you want to go. If you want to stay with indigenous communities, like we were indigenous, then is basically hammock is more or less it. But generally, most places, three to five star accommodation available. Some six star. And the food varies accordingly. Absolutely. Uh, but generally, the food's always good. It can be basic to astounding. But for me, the basic food, the traditional food, it is just delicious. It is so much variety as well. There's typical meals, different locations of typical meals. Here, traditional meal, Banda Haipaisa, which is huge. And that has uh, like uh, beans. It's got some meat. It's got platano. Uh, it's got so many different things. It's got uh, some pork belly. It's a meal which uh, a lot of people can't finish and a lot of people will take home. I should make a point. Colombians can finish this. They're smaller people than me, but they will still finish this at lunch. You know, that's, and it's really surprises me that, but that's it. Lunch is the biggest meal, you know. If people want to book with you, how do they do that? What's your website? Our website is bnbcolombia.com or you can do bnbcolombiatours.com, which is the name of our um, business. One just directs to another, so it doesn't matter which one you, you choose from there. Easiest way, use a contact form or the Get a Quote page. The Get a Quote page, you can write down all the things that you're interested in, along with ticking those boxes as to which destination you would like information. Either way, from there, we're a phone call away. Just repeat the website address again. www.bnbcolombia.com. B for Bob, N for Nigel, B for Bob. Colombia is C-O-L-O, not D-L-O-U. Correct. Yes, it's a whole country here, not just a little part of the US. Bruce McLean, thank you very much indeed for appearing on the show, and we wish you the very best of luck with your, your venture and adventures in the future in Colombia. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you, Felice. It's been a pleasure talking to both of you. And hopefully meet you in real life one day. We'll come find you. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. I'll be here. That's all for now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our website, actionpacktravel.com. Or you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or any of the many podcast platforms. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love you to sign up for our regular emails too at peter at actionpacktravel.com. Until next week, stay safe. And I am you. And you are me. It's just a crazy storm.